Welcome to The Modern Cloister. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the future of community. Now, if you've been joining us already, the past couple episodes, we've covered biblical community. We explored what the Bible says about it and what the early church looked like and how the church evolved along with society. From there, last episode, we talked about the decline of community from both the society perspective and the church perspective, and today we're going to be talking about the future of community. If you remember from the last episode, we ended on talking through how we are essentially a post-Christian nation right now, and that with that comes huge opportunity for the church because we're really back to where we started. We're back to our roots, and we have this chance to once again become like and model our lives like the early church did. And so as we start talking about what the future of community looks like, where we're really going to start right now is talking about some projections of things that we see happening within the church in the next couple of decades. And so, Kevin, you have tons of thoughts about this. We talk about this all the time. So take us through some of your top thoughts of where the church is headed overall. Yeah, I guess should we specify and narrow down last time we went to Protestant? Yeah. We're actually now going down even more specifically to our church. Um not our specific location, but our broader evangelical. So we're talking conservative evangelical, and I have a couple ways I think they're going. Um, probably the largest group, I'd say three things are going to happen, and probably the largest is going to be uh, people are just going to stop going. I think that's that's going to be just, it, it, it's already happening, and the decline is going to be accelerating, and we're gonna do we'll do we'll do a COVID show here later too to kind of talk about some of this, but it's it's accelerating the trends. And then I see two other things kind of going on. One is, and this may be the smallest. Hopefully, this is the smallest. But there's already a trend now of, uh, especially you know, Bible Church, Baptist, kind of the low church model, moving just you know, kind of skipping Presbyterianism and and some of those Methodists that have some liturgical elements, and they're just jumping straight to orthodoxy. Yeah, could I just cut in? For, for those who may not be familiar with the term low church, as you're talking about that, what exactly does that mean? Right, so low church is kind of, if you think of a Bible church or a Baptist church or um, just a congregational type church, there's there's no bishops, there's no settings. Often they're not even part of a denomination. But at the church itself, you're probably not going to have any litur- liturgy, any liturgical readings. There's no call and response. There's no confessions. There's no creeds. Uh, what else is liturgical? Call to worship, benediction, doxologies, things like that that you expect. Uh, you know, if you're listening or came from the Catholic context, there's a huge, huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And which, th- which is considered a high church. If you came right. from that tradition, that's that's the, right. almost the peak <clears throat> of high church. And we talk about high and low church in that context. It's not really an indication of necessarily the, the type of church or the quality of church. It's really the the, um, the, the structure of the church. I just right. want to make sure that's clear, too. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and I think growing up, you know, our, our generation is one of the reasons they're moving to the highest church orders, which would be um, orthodoxy and the Catholic church. A lot of this is be, because they are missing those elements. You know, the, the unstructured, you know, we talked about what's his name in his Hawaiian shirt and kind of not having a structure and you kind of sit back and relax. Um because you're being entertained, and so I think I think people are missing that. And um, whether you know, maybe you grew up in the that kind of low church, independent church, and maybe your parents were Baptist or something that was also low church. So it's not even it's not like you're returning back to where you came from, but mm-hmm. you know, people are just looking for that type of connection and that sense of history, mm-hmm. that deeper connection to other things. I think um, was it the editor of Christianity? Someone just recently, kind of famously. Uh, 
Oh, did I say Christianity? Christianity Today. Yeah. That's, you know. <laughs> Not, you know, the editor, the editor of Christianity, of all Christianity right, of all, of all Christians and, right now. Yeah. No, the editor of Christianity Today, which is a broadly evangelical mm-hmm. magazine, um, after I guess he left, or maybe he's a former president, whatever it is, he just became Catholic. And, um, you know, and I think his wife was something else to begin with. But And there's some famous conservative writers that aren't, you know, in the conservative economic and politic world. Uh, with like the New York Times and other authors who are Orthodox and Catholic. So I think there's some appeal there for that structure, for that connection to history, like I mm-hmm. said. And then I think the other thing we're going to see, this is the one I hope for, is kind of a reform in our churches, mm-hmm. in, in places where we go. I think you're going to have smaller churches. Uh, you know, the average church is 100 people or so, but let's talk about median. The median's probably more in the two range. And I think you're going to see that kind of shrink. I think you're going to have a hollowing out, really. We'll talk about, you know, kind of mega churches here in a little bit, but I think they'll stay to some extent, but I think we'll have a missing middle. I think we'll have a couple 5,000 person churches, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to drop down to like four or 500, which means on a Sunday you have maybe 300 people there. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to be tighter net. They're going to be more connected. Um, And I I think you're going to see some of this rise of liturgical elements. And it's a good thing. I I like seeing it. I did not grow up with any of those. Mm, I didn't either. And I think it, it, it again, connects you back to history, connects you to other Christians around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So so essentially, overall trend, like where we're headed for the next couple decades is just a continued decline of overall church attendance. But within that, those who do continue to go... You see, and we talk about this a lot, so what, what you're saying is that those who are left will be shifting in a large majority to more of these high church liturgical-based communities that are smaller, where you can have more of that face-to-face community, smaller church feel, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people will be looking for connection. Also, you got to think as people go you know, to college or the military, wherever they go after high school, um, just as church becomes a smaller part of the world and it's not mm-hmm. kind of required, it's just going to necessarily be smaller and it's going to be hard, even if you you know, a kid growing up now, a high mm-hmm. school or middle school or now in a church that seats 2,000 people, yeah. you know, when they go to church or they go to college in 10 years or go in the military 10 years, whatever it may be, uh, you know, the local biblically-based church just may be much smaller or maybe they mm-hmm. get in with community group in that, you know, and then they step back to this big church and they realize no one knows each other and they mm-hmm. run in and out of door. And that can happen in really, like, not any size church, but it doesn't have to be 2,000. You can easily have 500. I mean, mm-hmm. I know after we got married and then started looking for a church where we went uh first became members i think what, what was on what was in service there yeah total, but there was two different services yeah. and then there was still a traditional service well i think the the, the yeah the the uh, contemporary, contemporary was eight maybe 800 people there to sure, a thousand yeah it was a couple hundred for sure and i easily went in and out never talking to anyone because yeah. i didn't want to yeah which is and it's easy to do it so you can mm-hmm. you can go and you can check a box and and all of that but <laughs> As we think about what that what that means, so overall church attendance across across America declining, but mm-hmm. for for the church, there really is in that an opportunity. And so, a lot of what we've been talking about is how the church should exist, how we can exist in the future, and really what opportunities there are to reclaim what the church should be in these scenarios. And so, a lot of a lot of that it ends up leaning more into practical discussions. You know, we can talk high level and conceptually about what what a church should be and and can be from that space. But as far as on the ground practicality, 
I think this is the, the time in our notes, at least, <laughs> that we're talking about. And we have a bunch of things on here as far as ideas and, and things that we see being of increasing importance for churches as this trend happens. That is, as people are are not attending and choosing to not go to the church that maybe they, they would have gone to historically, what does the church do to really sit in that and to continue proclaiming the gospel and leaning into what it should be. And so for those of us who, um, for those of you who joined us on the the last episode, we talked a little bit about the consumer driven church and the seeker sensitive church. And, you know, in, in response to the decline of church attendance that started back, you know, after the 1950s and has still continued on today, so many churches took the approach of let's make our services more attractive to people. How can we get people to come to us? Can we make bigger, more impressive worship services? Can we put big screens up? Can we, I mean, some churches would do fog and lights and all of these entertainment elements to to draw people in as you would for, say, a concert or something like that. And so there was this and and to some degree i can understand where it was coming from because they were they were fearful of losing their influence and losing people like they mm-hmm. wanted to reach out and so it came from an evangel um evangelistic standpoint sure of well, wanting to reach out yeah that makes sense there's nothing wrong with trying to innovate or change but people have to really think about what they're giving up yeah and that's do. really where it went wrong I you mean. do and so now i mean and this is again this you know whenever whenever we talk about this we're not talking about every single church everywhere because mm-hmm. there are churches who are doing very great work and and we you know we personally attend a church that we, you know we obviously choose to attend because we believe that they're doing a lot of really biblically based things within our worship gatherings and are approaching things well but across across the american cultural christianity that we see and and the churches from from that perspective i think a lot of what we're really going to have to to do as a church is to start separating ourselves out from the culture. Because what happens when you have that seeker-sensitive oriented service is it starts looking like everything else that you have around you. And so if you're not getting something different, that that lends itself to this mentality that you just talked about of why would I go mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning when I want to hang out at home and relax a little bit, maybe read a book, take a walk, have play video waffles. games, have some waffles, you know, just take it easy. What makes me want to go if all I'm going is basically to, to get a glorified, you know, concert? And so I think that's the starting point when I think about what the church needs. And so from there, we get into, you know, all these bullet points that I'm looking at in front of us that we could get into. Um, but to what you were saying earlier, it I think that's why there's that shift and why you're seeing that shift and projecting that in a sense for more of the, the higher church liturgical elements. And I know we both long to start having more creeds and confessions and having more liturgy involved in services. And for those who may not know, that the word liturgy simply means the work of the people because it, it means that the the people who are attending and worshiping are part of the service. There's a, partici- a participation element of a worship gathering. And that's one of those things that can also be lost along with it. And so... We should probably point out too, when, when we always say about having creeds and confessions at, at church having the creed would be something like reciting the apostles yeah. creed. There's a lot of, some of you may be listening, you know, who, who are in that higher church and like, wait, other people don't do that. Yeah. Other people are <laughs> like creed. Here, what do you yeah. mean? And confession is, um, well, those can kind of mean different things in church, but typically what we mean by this is that corporate confession of sin yeah. and then the absolution or word yeah. of, um, word of assurance. So they call it different things, word of forgiveness, word of assurance, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and then and communion, too. I know, I mean, a lot of oh, churches yeah. that I went to earlier in my days, I mean, I didn't grow up in the church. I started attending a non-denominational church in high school, and that was primarily my experience to my mid-20s. 
but communion was present, but it wasn't present every week. And so some churches, it would be monthly. At some other churches that we went to, that that first one you mentioned, it was more mm. of, Quarter? I think, quarterly. Yeah, quarterly, so six weeks, a lot of people do. You didn't have this hugely important element of, of the worship gathering that used to be one of the main things people came together to do. And so getting back to some of those roots and offering people something that they don't get elsewhere, but not for the sake of what they get out of it, but really really reorienting the service to not being about your personal experience in the service, but making it about coming and worshiping and glorifying God together and being formed in his character through those services. So it's a it's a shift in perspective of why we even come to worship. And I think that's one of the things that, that I see a lot. And so I think that drives the desire then to come and get more than just a 15-minute pep talk, you know, that, that self-help, hey, what do I do this week to be a better Christian? They want something deeper and and starting to push back into the culture and offering things that are deeper and more satisfying to your soul and less concerned with with providing that entertainment element, which has become so common among churches. Yeah, and I think that's that's the sad part is the reason for a lot of these cuts are to, you know, even if you want to keep a 20-minute sermon or so, you, and you have songs because you got to entertain people, but we cut out a lot of the um, public prayers. We cut mm-hmm. out... Uh, different readings we cut out communion especially communion was cut out for time mm-hmm. because it, it it's kind of time consuming if you have 800 people 200 people whatever maybe and of course some of these big big churches that have 2,000 people I don't know what they do for communion but mm-hmm. like that's what's being cut and to think that you would lose communion because mm-hmm. you know it's hard to equate like we talked about what you know in a grand society and and you know 2,000 years ago but what's clear in the Bible one thing everyone can agree on is every Sunday they did communion. Mm-hmm. And so to not, it doesn't mean you're not a biblically-based church. It's not it's not sinful, but you're certainly not following the biblical model of service. And, um, mm-hmm. oh, do you remember that one place? This is not on our notes, so you probably don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. The, uh, Keep going. I'll well, the one church we visited, and they, uh, when we were looking, looking around at one point, I think for houses maybe, they... Had it, they didn't have it during the service because again, they, you got to get you in an hour or less, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was afterwards. They said, "Hey, if y'all want to come over here and take some communion, like oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you can come get it." So, and at the time, uh, I was like, "Oh, cool! They offer communion every Sunday ish. That's neat." Uh, but looking back now and, and considering how I consider church, it's like, "Oh man, you're just yeah. you're, that's not commune yeah. of the communion because people aren't together." It's not the whole church together. Yeah, it's like a, a little segment was off to yeah. the side taking it apart from everybody else, which, at the, yeah, at the time, we didn't really think much of it. We were mm-hmm. a lot younger, and we didn't really think critically about a lot of what we looked for when we were looking for churches. And so, by God's grace, we have found ones along the way that have, have helped mature us and form us, which has been a, a huge um, blessing for us. But that was that's a really interesting memory to bring back because that really highlights exactly what we're talking about, that it was just so segmented from what the the church life and the rhythms of the church community should be when they come together, which is really interesting. I know one thing that I think about a lot, and it's because of of being a worship leader and being a songwriter and being someone who has spent years in that space and thinking about how we even put together our, our worship services. One of the things that I think we need to push back on as a community as well and as, as a greater church is not letting the, the music industry around us drive what we do within our churches. And this isn't a knock on Christian music entirely. I mean, I've, I've existed in that space and appreciate what it has been and some of the great things that it has brought us. But when our decisions on what is a good and quality and 
um, a, a formative song for our church and, and we base that on what we're hearing on the radio, I find a lot of reasons to be concerned with that because the thresholds for how you make those decisions are different. Whether a song sounds good on the radio and attracts a large you know, number of people to it because it's, you know, the, what's, what's the phrase when you take, you like bring something down to, to, to the core most bland oh, <laughs> part of something? Oh. There's a term for that when it's like, I don't know, yeah. I, I'm drawing a blank. I shouldn't go off script Lowest for myself. Common Lowest denominator? common denominator. Okay, so yeah, you, you find something that is, that is um, easy appealing to digest to and appealing people. to the masses. Yeah. And, in, and in that sense, it really is offering nothing of true value. And I find that to be more and more what we're hearing on the radio. I mean, of course, with exception, there are still songs I could point to that have come out in recent years that I think are excellent and should be you know, considered for different local congregations as they're thinking through what to bring into their services. But second to the the sermon the songs that we sing especially if we're not presently and if some of you are not in a church that's doing things like the call and response or any of the the confessions or using those those psalms or or corporate prayers after the sermon your songs are essentially what you are formed by and so making sure that those have rich theologically sound underpinnings to them is so important and i find that the more and more we lose that, it goes hand in hand with feeling more like you're going simply to be entertained and you walk away not feeling, and, and I have felt this at times in those churches where you haven't actually been invited to worship because you're not invited to participate in anything that is good and grounding and and points you toward anything if you're if you're singing the same two phrases over and over, but mm. they really don't point to God's glory or to the the, the reality and the, and the truth of the cross or of Jesus or any of those things where it's, it's just more of that, that vague, abstract, feel-good type thing. And I think that's one of the areas that as a church we have to, whether you're officially in a position to make a, you know a choices on staff somewhere, whether you're in the congregation and just talking about these things amongst yourselves, but pointing to some of those things and starting to seek out music that is perhaps different than just what you hear on the Christian radio stations around you. So. Yeah, and we'll probably have a whole. Oh yeah, I probably want a little too much series. Maybe we'll have the <laughs> whole series, series on, on that. Well, it's something we care deeply about. We do. But yeah. The that reminds me of a quote I heard on um, White Horse Inn. I don't remember which one of the guys said it, but to your point about the lowest common denominator, he pointed out that you know the seeker movement, the the entertainment movement in the church, they what they sought the unchurched. Oh yeah, hang on. It's, it's we should have. So I think they. You, you were looking to reach the unchurched. And in the process, you unchurched the reach. There you go. That's yeah. the quote. Yeah, it's on our little right. board over here. I found it. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, we're trying to get the people who weren't in church, and we took the people who were in and kind of unchurched them. Yeah. And that was that breaking down of, of the historical, you know, teachings and, and just a lot of the different things we've been covering. Yeah. So um, let's, let's, let's move in and talk about how things may look a little differently in, for um, small groups or whatever people may call them, Sunday school um, so a lot of you may not have Sunday school classes right now. Uh, our current church doesn't. Our, our past church mm-hmm. didn't. Uh, Sunday school in the history of the church is relatively new. It started in America, as far as I know. I could be wrong. As an American, of course, I always think everything starts <laughs> here, right? So, uh, But I believe that started in the 1850s, 1860s as a way to – and it was literally more of a school. It was to teach literacy and then to, to teach the Bible. Of course – Throughout the history of the church, there's been catechism classes, and, and that's how people learn. And I think that's something we'll, we'll see again. But a lot of people are probably involved in small groups or community groups or whatever you may call them. And, um, and you, you want a hot take? You want a hot take on community groups? 
Yeah. I, I don't think they'll exist in, let's call it 10 years. That's bold. So so call me. So if, if this podcast is still going on in yes. 10 years, which we hope it is, we're going to come back and we're going to we're gonna vet that and see how, <laughs> see how close to true that is or not. And we'll maybe do a whole episode and, and call you out and, <laughs> and test it. We probably should do a whole one on community group. That would but be let's, interesting. Let's hit a couple couple quick points on it, but uh, we we should do one later if we keep going with this. But yeah, I think that could be good. Well, so so for me, I think one of the <clears> things, and again, I, I think this is what I talked about even within the context of the church discussion. But so much of it is a shift in perspective, and I think that's where each and every Christian can own their own part in how the church exists together. And what I mean by that, with in relation to groups, is that the group model essentially can be thought of and in many times has been thought of myself included as a place to find your next friends mm, like you uh-huh. want you want a community that you can you can hang out with it's easy you can you know you can talk with each other like you've been friends for years after you've hung out and it just has that ease of a, a well-seasoned friendship and that's very close to the mentality that I have had for most of my you know young adult life and in fact just a few years ago was really deeply challenged by that um, by a friend of ours who who pointed out that the point of groups isn't really to find your next best friends. It's really, it's about something deeper than that. And so I think from that vantage point, all of us can evaluate essentially what we go into those groups and how we do that really. Mm -hmm. And so instead of being like, Oh, are these, are these five women that I'm in group with, you know, my best friends and are we, you know, does it feel like the people that I used to hang out with in grade school (coughs) and college and all those things? Perhaps not, perhaps. Did you just say grade school? Yeah, that's not a term that I probably wow. use much, but I was I was reaching for one there. Sorry, but, didn't mean to knock you off, but grade school, yeah. But looking past that and saying, is this group representative of the, the local community around me? And making choices on how to participate in groups as far as choosing to be committed to a group of people that you're with for the sake of the community as a whole. And I think that makes you focus less on what necessarily you're getting out of the group and more about what you're being able to provide when you choose to belong to other people. Which is just a, mm-hmm. a, a countercultural concept anyway. Well, and I think one of the things that we'll probably see too is, is you know, especially if churches get smaller and then maybe you're going to hopefully be more geographical focused. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, we live in a giant neighborhood and I believe there's enough people in our church that live in our neighborhood to have a community group. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a couple of them, I think four, three, four of them have been either one of them still is and two or three have been, but it's... Uh, I think as you shift to that focus, you know, as as long as they keep going, it's not going to say, okay, you know, give me 10 other couples that are uh, college educated and no kids yet, though. So we're young, mm-hmm. we're all in our 20s, maybe 30 or so, and uh, and we may be scattered across three different counties. This this is a model we've been in two or three times. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to say, no, that's, that's – of course, there's still going to be some sort of – anchoring to having children or maybe a group that's been together 20 years so they are just older and but i think you're going to see more uh multi-generational people mm-hmm. with without kids and, and i think that's good because you learn more about just life mm-hmm. i mean you can learn from the wisdom of older people you know in the spirit and then but also it, the life aspect of mm-hmm. it the, what's it like to be a be married 30 years and what's mm-hmm. it like to have kids it'd been cool to know some more people who had kids before we had kids yeah that would have been Nice. <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah, and I think you know, I um, I'm gonna pick up this book that's next to me because I was reading, I was reading a book um, over the past couple of weeks and preparing for some of this, and it's 
a book that some of you may know. It's called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And there's this section in there. He, he separates it out in a couple different categories. He talks about life together. He talks about time together in community, time, time actually apart, and the importance of having time apart and time together. But then he has this section about the ministries of life together. And I really liked this because it, it dove down into the practical elements of what it looks like to be a community together, whether in, in the, the large sense of, of your local church community as a whole, or perhaps also within the context of your smaller groups, where I think a lot of this can actually happen. And so a couple of those, I mean, there's, there's quite a few. So I'd recommend this to anyone who is interested in getting a little primer on some, um, some community thoughts. But there's a, there's a few on here that really stuck out to me. And, and the first was this ministry of listening that we're called to. And there's this quote, and I'm going to go ahead and read it because I really liked it, and and I made Kevin listen to it a couple of times as I was debating whether to read a whole quote on the air because that's a little risky. But this is the quote, and it's under this ministry of listening. And it says, Christians so often think that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen, and they do not find it among Christians because those Christians are talking when they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. He will be too busy doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. Prattle, that's a great word. Yeah, it's a yeah, great, great word. But I think that's one of these things that as a culture, we become really, really bad at listening. I mean, that's, you know, that's covered in articles all over the place if you're on any kind of you know, professional development thing for work and there's there's active listening and like how do you become a better mm-hmm. listener to be a better manager and all these different things because we've lost the art of listening and I have been hugely guilty of that and you know that firsthand quite a bit. Do what? Yes, exactly. Um, but there's this element of, of one of the calls of community is to simply listen to one another and to listen without speaking, to listen without acting in the moment, but just to be. There's a power and presence. And I think that's one of those things that we sometimes have difficulty with. Maybe not everybody, but it's it's a charge of the group and one that he lays out as a particular ministry within community. And that, you know, later in that section, he talks about then, of course, the, the ministry of proclaiming, too, in the context of one believer saying to another believer God's truths over them and speaking into their lives. But his quote later in the book says, if you haven't first yet listened, how can that actually have its home? Like, how do you exist in proclaiming something to your brother or sister when you haven't first listened to them? And so he positions all of these together. And I, and I think it's a really neat exercise in looking like practically, what do you do when you gather? And how are you orienting your mind to really intentionally exist in life with one another? And so there's things in there about you know, helpfulness and bearing with one another and burdens and actually doing the work of community alongside just the simple meetups and studying your Bible and praying. But how are you actually entering life and helping along the way too? So, I don't know. Those are some of the things that I've really been been thinking about as far as what it looks like for that. So do you want to you take us to our next thing from there? Yeah, sure. We go to the kind of, if, if we think that we're going to kind of get smaller, I think part of that is going to get back to uh, families. And like I said, Sunday school is going away, but, you know, some sort of group study may continue, mm-hmm. but the community groups may in the next generation go away. And so we've seen this trend recently with, um, who put out the new city? Is that Gospel Coalition or was that just Keller or his church? Sure. Well, if you've ever heard of the new city catechism, which is a great uh, modern language, shorter, very, very much shorter. I think there's only 50, 52 questions um, as opposed to the old, you know, Westminster and Lutheran. Even their shorter ones are 120, 105, something like that. 
first the longer catechisms that are 160, 170, mm-hmm. things like that. And, uh, and they have a kid's version and there's an app that's all really cool. Um, and so we've been doing it with our daughter and she's really excited. She knows four of the questions. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think you're going to see that. You're going to see some more um, family worship. You want to talk a little bit about that? And... Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, in the, in the context, like Kevin was saying about going smaller and focusing more on your daily rhythms together, whether it's your family or your small group or your larger church community, what does it look like to be entering each day together, reading the scripture, doing devotions, praying together, singing together? I mean, our, mm-hmm. our home is a singing home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has been for years. Um, there are so many moments when I, I don't even know I'm singing or humming, and Kevin's called me out on it, and I have not even truly known that I was even humming a song walking up the stairs. But we are a singing household. And so what does it look like to, to so saturate your lives with these elements of, of Christian life, but doing it in a way that is together as well as apart? I mean... We have a lot of instruction within the church of, of your your individual quiet time and your individual prayer time. But what does it look like even in your families to be together and doing it? And, you know, that then develops a culture of people feeling more comfortable praying together because then you're, you're used to it. It becomes part of what you know. And so that, as far as a formative element for our churches in the coming decades, I think is going to be just essential. Yeah, it must be turning to, I think, in the past, what, five years, there's been... Uh, three or four good books out of you know Crossway, IVP, some of the big names that are really focused on discipling and growing Christians about how to do family devotions, how to do family worship, and um, I, th- I think you're just going to see more of that. And ooh, that could be something. We'll throw that in with the COVID one. Maybe that's something that's going to be happening more as you can't do it together. Hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. But, I'll have to uh, edit our notes before we. Yeah. <laughs> before which we do I, the next one. Which I think you know we're we're right up here on time. So anything else you want to say on? No, not not particularly with this, but I think it's always it's always good to wrap up with thoughts of, of why this is really important for us to be thinking critically about. You know, there's it's good to know things because, you know, knowing things is fun, but how does it really help shape what we do tomorrow and the next day and the week after that? And I think for me, having that first discussion and being challenged by even some of these concepts over the past several years by people that I respect and know and, and through readings, it really helps in a sense, feel like I have more ownership in helping create what the church should be, that I, as a, a layperson within the church, can and should be actively engaged in shaping what it looks like. And so there's there's a sense of community even in that that I've experienced. And so I, and so I guess my hope in this whole discussion is offering some of that to our listeners too. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. All right. Did I about well, sum it up? I think so. <laughs> I nailed I think that's it. That's a good, right. So... <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to be the end of our three-part series on community. You know, uh, if you've if you've liked this and you haven't listened to the others, our first was a history, and then kind of talking about the decline or the separation of society and and the church and the society kind of falling, uh, splitting up, being different. And hopefully, this one you see what we think the church can offer, uh, places we think it's going, certainly places we're hopeful it's going. Um, so we are going to do a one-off one on COVID. Uh, that you know it'll stand on its own but you know obviously won't last as long as some of the others hopefully is is maybe we're wrong and things will be better than we think (laughs) but uh uh, where can people find us you can find us at moderncloister.com we'd love to hear from you you can you can send us an email through that we'd love to hear thoughts on on this or any of the episodes so far we also invite you to rate review and subscribe subscribe Mm -hmm. so you can get the latest and greatest of all of our podcasts as they come out you can also find us online a couple other places. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Carissa Turner. I'm on Twitter at the Kevin Turner, 
And you can also find me rambling and writing for him at MondayMorningTheologian.com. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time.